Good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing well. If you have a Bible this morning, uh, please take a turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, um, it's gonna be, we're going to be in verse 16 through 20. And if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Um, if you want one, come see us. We can get you one. Uh, but also, uh, we will have it on the screen for you this morning. And as we turn to Matthew 28, verse 16, there was a time in my life where I was probably at one of the lowest places I had been. Um, in my spirit, I was beat down. It had been a long, tough time in ministry, and I needed the grace of God, and amazingly, his grace abounded to me in a trip to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. I know it was, and you weren't expecting that. You are expecting something different. Um, the, uh, I was asked by a friend of mine who we met. It was a God thing that how we met, and he was, at, he was a youth pastor at First Baptist Church of Columbia, South Carolina, and he called me up and said, would you like to lead worship for our group? And I said, absolutely. I had done it previously. And then he said, would you like to do it on the beach? And I said, I'm already there, okay? And so they put me up, me, my wife, my son Judson, and my niece Carrie Grace, we all went to South Carolina, and I basically got to hang out with middle, it was, yeah, it was about 80 middle school students, okay, and you think, that's not cool. If you get 80 middle, school, middle schoolers together, the energy is electric, okay? And plus, you didn't have the high school kids, so they weren't trying to act cool, they were acting like they were middle schoolers, and it's awesome, okay? They smell a little bit, but I love you middle schoolers, but you smell like Axe Body Spray and B.O., and... <laughs> I love you though. That's love. That's love right here, okay? And I love them so much. And we were so it was so good. It was I needed that in my spirit. I saw kids who were pumped up and excited to live and to be uh, be there for Jesus. And and we got to go do this. And then during the day we hung out at the beach and at night we hung out with teenagers and let them worship with Jesus. It was awesome. It was so great. And then when we got back from the hotel one night, it was about day two of this week-long thing. I know, suffering for Jesus. Uh we decided to go swimming. So my niece and I went swimming in the hotel pool, which looked a little suspect. And turned out to be, because the next morning I woke up and my, I had problems opening my eyes. I had pink eye. Now that's embarrassing as an adult to get pink eye a little bit, you know, because you think that's a kid's thing. But also when you're leading worship in front of a bunch of middle schoolers, and middle schoolers, I love them, but they notice things and they say it out loud. Like, What's wrong with your eye, man? And my eye, I mean, it was bad. I looked at Amy, I said, I think I have pink eyes. She's like, well, you almost got red eyes, son. I mean, that was, that's bad. And I had to go to the little walk-in clinic, and I got these little drops. Now, the absurdity would have been if I'd have just hung out the whole week without taking those antibiotic drops they had prescribed me. How dumb would that have been? Matt, your eyes look worse. Yeah, I got some antibiotic drops. We'll clear this up in a couple of days, but I don't want to use those. Oh, no, I'm good. And you can imagine how my eyes would look at the end of that thing. Do you realize how absurd it would be to not use the remedy, to not apply the remedy for something so easy as bacterial uh, pink eye? I was trying to look for the word. Conjunctivitis? Conjunctivitis? Conjunctivitis. That's the word. It has escaped me. That's the one. That was free. It didn't cost you anything. We get to this. You think about how absurd it would have been to take something so simple and something so easy to take care of this malady and, and take it away. I want you to know something. The gospel of Jesus Christ, which we have studied, which is the story of how God has worked, has made beautiful creation, made in his image, made good, made perfect, marred and destroyed by man's sin, but God bringing through 
the, through a family, through the nation of Israel, and ultimately through a little, Jew, little family um, in Bethlehem, he brought about the Savior, Jesus Christ, the Son of God come, who paid the price of sin on the cross and is resurrected. That's the story we have seen, creation, fall, redemption, and this look at the Bible that we've been doing in this story series. How absurd would it be just to leave it there and not apply the remedy for sin to the world and not to take it to the world? It would be absurd in two regards. It would be absurd in this, that God would not get the glory because how amazing is this plan of salvation that he has placed before us in the Bible. It's amazing. We couldn't think it up. It's definitely from the mind of God that the holy God would become man to pay the penalty for sins so that all who believe on him might have everlasting life. It is a glorious, glorious story, and it is worthy of all of our worship and our life. The second thing, how, how, how foolish would it be, just as foolish as if I would not take my pink eye drops when I had this awful pink eye. It would be just as absurd not to apply this remedy and take it to the world. Now, if I'm just, it, Jesus himself, after his resurrection, appeared to men in different ways over the time that he was on the earth. And then in Matthew 28, at the end of the gospel, he appears yet again and give, gives one of the last and final commandments he gives before ascending. And here it is in Matthew 28. He says this. Matthew 28, verse 16, it starts. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Most of the times when you see Jesus after the resurrection, it's in Judea. Judea is in the southern part of Israel, okay? Galilee's in the northern part of Israel, and it's, it's definitely more rural, and fishing was one of the predominant things they would do in that area, and so it's about 75 miles, so it's very interesting that Jesus takes them out of the place where all of the stuff had happened, out of Judea, and he tells his 11 disciples, and they have to walk 70 miles, or camel it, or donkey it, however, they had to get up there 70 miles to Galilee to this mountain that they talked about. And so we don't know if it's anybody else but the 11, but it's definitely the 11. Okay, that's important. Verse 17 says this, and they saw him and they worshiped him, but some doubted. The word, it could be translated hesitated. Very interesting. Verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, this is really important, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We're looking at the absurdity of not applying the remedy for sin, and Jesus gives us a command to go and make disciples. And I hope that we will look at this, that every single one of us today has a mission. To understand that mission, we must understand the sum of its parts. By doing that, I'd like to walk you through this, one of the final commandments Jesus would give before ascending, and one of the great commission, the great commission that he gives his people, the great commandment he gives his people to take the good news of Jesus's redemption to the world. And so we're going to look at that in three phases, okay? If you would look, and we're going to look at what he says in verse 18, Jesus speaking to these disciples on top of this mountain, he says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So the first part of our mission is to recognize the authority of Jesus. Now, let's say I came up to Kelly's house 
And I decided, I walked to Kelly's house and knocked on the door and said, excuse me, sir, I'm going to need to search the premises. I'm going to need to confiscate your cell phone and get all your cell phone records. And I'd also like to see your financial paperwork. Do you know what's going to happen there? Kelly's going to call the cops before he punches me. Or maybe punches me and call the cops. Why would that be absurd? Do I have any right to go to Kelly's house and ask him for any of those things? No. However, somebody with a badge and a search warrant shows up at your house and does that. What do you have to do? That. Or they put you in jail. Right? What's the difference? I have no authority. No power, no, uh, no privilege, if you will, to go and do that. But somebody who has a, obtained a, a police officer or a federal agent, you're not under investigation. I'm making it sound bad, Kelly. But he's not. I don't know anything about this, and I've never tried it. Okay, it won't. Got my word, brother. All right. I, that person who has been deputized or underneath the power of the state or the federal government who comes and obtains a search warrant, search warrant and has the power of the badge, has the power of that search warrant, which is from the courts that represent our nation, therefore he has the power and the authority to go and that person would have the power and authority to go and search Kelly's house. Now, I say that because Jesus starts off with this, and this is the major emphasis of the Great Commission. It says this, all authority, power, can also be translated, all of the rights have been given to me. All the authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus, in coming as the God-man, and living a life completely submitted to God, sinning in no way, completely submitted to the will of God, even to the point of death on the cross, raised to new life by the power of God, which is the greatest miracle that you could ever see. That right there is the, what bestows upon Jesus all authority and power. Who is more powerful? Who can beat the grave? Only Jesus who is more powerful? Who can, who can obey God's law? No one except for the God-man, Jesus. He has the power. Therefore, because he has the power, the authority, he can tell you what to do. Plus, it gives us precedent to go and accomplish what he's about to tell us to do. Because just as it would, how absurd it would be as I went up to Kelly's house... Knocked on the door, so I'm going to need to see your cell phone records. I have no authority to do that. But also, it's pretty audacious to do that, right? You ever been around that person that doesn't realize that they're overstepping, like, the social bounds of what they, can, what they should ask for? You ever been around someone like that? If you don't, you might be that person. That's always a good thing. You know what I mean? Like, the person that comes over to your house to eat and then, like, asks for, like, to-go bags, but, like, takes all the food with them. Not that, you, not, not that you offer it. If you offer it, then that's, that's cool. It's free game. But I, I know a situation in which there was a, a very expensive meal, not at my house, it was somebody else's house. It was a very expensive meal. Some people that, that are nice, nice folks, they came over. This is not here. Gosh, I have to do this because this is going to sound like, who is he talking about? Is it here? I know all of you are doing that, looking around. Like, oh, who is it? Is it you? It was you. It was probably Tom. Um, just kidding. <laughs> 
there was a story that like prime rib was had and there was some left over and somebody said, hey, you know what? Um, I, I, I'm going to take that home. Asked if they could take all the leftovers home and took all the prime rib home. And then, then the, the guest was like, yeah, okay, sure. And afterwards, like, they took all the prime rib. What are you doing? That would be the, that is the equivalent of what, see, because here's the deal. Jesus is going to go tell his disciples to go make disciples, telling everybody that there was one way to God, Jesus Christ. And that is a very, very audacious thing to say to somebody, to come up to somebody in their living room and say, the way you are living, the way you are believing is wrong. There's only one way to live and to believe. And it is, the, it is Jesus Christ. Now you realize how audacious of a statement that is. It can seem very rude. And sometimes we make it rude. It's a little bit offensive, it really is. The gospel is offensive. But I want you to get this. If we didn't have the authority because we've been deputized by the one who has authority, we'd be barking up the wrong tree. But because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus, it says, go therefore and make disciples. Do you realize something? You have the authority, not in and of yourself, but because you're in Christ, to tell the message of Christ that he is the way, the truth, and the life to people. And you have the, you have the, you've been deputized with the power as a believer to take this message. And it's, it, is, it is bold, but it's not outside the realm of your responsibility and your authority. Does that make sense? Because why? Because Jesus has all authority, and he basically deputizes his followers with the same authority. We carry the badge, if you will. Does that make sense? Because I want you to get this. What we are saying to go tell people and make disciples and talk about Jesus being the only way, it is very unpopular. Not only that, it is very bold. And it seems like it's overstepping the bounds for us to be like, no, your way is wrong and our way is right. But there is only one way, and it has been shown by the one who has all authority. Does that make sense? This is so important because a lot of times we just skip the all authority in heaven and earth and go right to the go therefore. The go therefore doesn't make any sense unless you understand that Jesus has all authority. He is higher than the federal government of this country. He is higher than the federal governments of every country. He is higher than the United Nations. He is higher than any king who has ever been lifted up and in power. Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He has all the power. Whatever he says is right. I don't agree with that. Big whoop. Because he's right. Did you, are you going to get up from the grave? Nope, unless you're in him. Well, my opinion. Well, do you know everything about everything? He does. You know why? The book of Colossians says everything was made through him. But I don't think, who cares? Who cares? I don't, and he doesn't. He's right. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. So that him, one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, Got that straight, right? First thing about our mission, we have to recognize authority, okay? Second thing about our mission is this, as believers and disciples. We are to be disciples who make disciples. Here is where I get that from, okay? From the text. If I didn't get it from the text, it wouldn't matter. Verse 19 says this, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, okay? Now, 
The major verb in this passage is make disciples. It is the imperative, which means it is a command, okay? So the major command here is to make disciples. That is the major emphasis. And that means, first off, we have to understand what the word disciple means. Does that make sense? Because a lot of times we use words we don't understand. We talk about that all the time. <laughs> We're really good at that, okay? Um, I am, okay? So I, I, I have found that several times, especially preaching and talking amongst people. There have been several times where I've had, uh, my, in fact, my old music pastor used, this, used to do this to me all the time. He goes, that word that you use, I don't think <laughs> it means what you think it means. <laughs> oh, I better back that up. And now you're checking me. You're going to get your phone out. And you're going to be like, synonym, that word didn't seem right. He said audacious about six times. I hope he knows what that means, okay? You might be Googling that right now. But here's the idea. Jesus said, because all authority in heaven and earth has been given, therefore, this is a consequence, okay? Here we go. Go, therefore, and make disciples. So that brings us to the question of what is a disciple? A disciple, at its core, is a committed follower, okay? Let's go back. If you would look into, if you go home, this is some free homework for you guys to do. I know you're looking forward to doing homework, okay? So if you go back and look at the Gospels, here's what happened. Jesus, when he called his first disciples, the word we're talking about here, those who we would call his followers, he went up to them, and they had a different profession, okay? Peter, for example, was a fisherman, and he comes, and he says, follow me, and I'll make you fish as men. And we, the, the Gospels, and this, there's not a whole lot of discussion in the Gospels. We don't know what was said, except for this. Okay, and he drops his nets, and he walks away, and he follows Jesus. And that's kind of the MO for how Jesus calls disciples. So at the very core of what it means to be a disciple, judging by what we've seen in the Scripture previously in the Gospels, it means to follow Jesus. Does that make sense? Are we tracking with that? All right, second thing is, this is not like a commitment to an institution, okay? This is not like National Signing Day for those of us who follow college sports in which the guy will get the hat out and put it on and say, I'm going to this school. And most of us think of institutional loyalty. If you don't believe me, wait till the fall rolls around because there will be a lot of, of, of Tennessee orange and in my house, it would be a lot of orange and blue. And we will be institutionally loyal to our teams that are going to meet on the gridiron, if you know what I'm saying, okay? And I have an example of this because um, I just wanted to do this, really. See, this is a hat. This is... Uh, bought in 2002. That is a Florida Gator on there. So I did go to school there, and many of you are joining me out right now. But I, want you to wear the, I wanted to wear this hat for an example, okay? I got this hat in 2002 because I got a scholarship, not a football scholarship, yeah, right, to go to the University of Florida. And I got a scholarship, and they gave me, uh, they were giving me this honor at uh, downtown or at a hotel on the beach, okay? So we got packed up as a family, and I got all my gator paraphernalia, and I heard that I was going to get to meet Steve Spurrier, okay? Which many of you, I know, okay, I know this is a dangerous story I'm telling you, but it's going somewhere, so bear with me. He got, at that point, he went to the Washington Redskins to coach them. So I got stuck, and I, listen, no, I have no problem with this man, but it didn't work out. I got stuck with Ron Zook, if any of you know that, okay? Any football players, he's... Good guy, not a good coach, okay? <laughs> At least it wasn't for us, okay? So my hat right here was supposed to be signed by Steve Spurrier. But no, this is a genuine article now. This is signed by Coach Ron Zook. It says, Matt, go Gators, Ron Zook. This is worth nothing, okay? <laughs> All that being said, 
We think of institutional loyalty when we think of someone who goes and learns underneath a follower of somebody else. We think of institutional loyalty, but that is not what the, the, the rabbi-teacher relationship was of a disciple. Here's what happened. It's way more personal. These guys wouldn't enroll in a school. They enrolled in a person, honestly. And they followed this person. If you look at the Gospels, these guys tagged along with Jesus in all these different situations time and time again. And they saw his life. They saw his work. One of them saw his, his, his crucifixion. We see right here, and they're seeing his resurrection. Disciple means, so we understand it. Because we're supposed to make them, we should understand what they are. The first thing, it's a committed follower. Someone who has seen Jesus and decided that all of his way of life will be under the teaching and the work and the person of Jesus. Does that make sense? That's what a disciple is. It's not someone who just holds to a teaching. It is someone who holds to a person. And all their teaching is a part of that. It's not, it's not like I can have a little bit here and I can have a little bit of Jesus here. That's why it's so damaging sometimes when we, when we equate Jesus with the country music Jesus we have, okay? Because the country music Jesus says, I was partying on Saturday night, but I'm, on, I'm at church on Sunday. Jesus is an addition. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. Listen to any of those songs. It's like, I live my life how I want to live, but I go to church on Sunday. Who cares? Who cares? That might be a top 10 hit, all right? I just want you to get this. That was never what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, and that's why the Bible Belt's in the mess it's in, because they believe that. Never been. You follow him completely or you follow him none can't be this walking between two worlds thing. That's what it means to be a disciple. The second thing I want you to see is that it involves an outward sign of this inward commitment, which is seen in this, that Jesus says, go therefore make disciples, the main verb. Part of that making disciples, and we've got this participle that follows it, doesn't mean much, but just understand making disciples, here, baptizing and teaching fall underneath this. This is how the discipleship process happens, and it happens this way. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. A couple of things. First off, baptizing means to immerse. This is a sign. It has been since the beginning of Christianity that baptism is the profession of faith. It is the outward sign of the inner reality that you have trusted Christ. Baptism is the thing that shows that is the confession of faith. We have gotten it mixed up with some other things. But baptism is the profession of faith, and it shows commitment. In some countries around the world, it means you, as soon as you are baptized, that's when your family recognizes you as a true follower of Jesus, and they cut you off in places that are hard towards the gospel. You get this. Baptism is a huge deal. And it means to show that you have committed yourself to follow this teacher as a disciple. You've committed yourself to follow the Son of God and his death, that's what baptism represents, his death, burial, and resurrection are your hope and your commitment, and therefore I follow him. It is an outward sign of in reality and of a commitment. Does that make sense? We get to this next point is this. He says this, not only that you be baptized, but you be named, just so you make sure you're baptized in the right name, in the name, singular, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about the Trinity coming up. There is one God who exists eternally in three persons. It is very confusing sometimes, but it is very true that there is one God who exists eternally in three persons, and each one of them 
interacts with one another, but they are, at the essence, God. God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's very interesting and very th- something to note that, that you can't just be baptized in any name you want to and go through some religious rite. And that shows us, again, that religious rites don't do anything for us. It's only express faith. It's only faith expressed in this rite that means anything. So just being, if you were baptized without being born again and expressing that through faith... If that has happened to you, you got wet, and you were not baptized. This is just free. This is stuff you need to know. That is what it means to be a disciple, is a committed follower. The second thing we see here is this. In verse 20, it says this. Now you'd be baptizing them. Go, therefore, make disciples. That's the emphasis, and here's how you do that. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, calling people out to be committed followers. Then it says, here's the other, other part of what it means to make disciples. Teaching them to observe all I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always until the end of the age. So first off, we see a disciple is this, is someone who is a committed follower of Jesus. It's secondly, someone who has a commitment or someone who is a lifelong learner. Because here's what a disciple is supposed to do, to teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. So it would stand to reason that a disciple is one who observes or obeys all that Jesus commands. Now I want you to get this real quick. Learning leads to obeying. Note this in the text. It says, teaching them to observe or obey. It is not enough just to know facts about the gospel. That does not make a disciple. It is one who, who learns the teachings of Jesus and obeys the teachings of Jesus. It is not works that save us, but it is works that show the inward reality of our commitment to follow him, which is expressed in our, is an expression of, of the fact that we have been born again out of sin and death into life. And so teaching involves this. Teaching, learning about what the word of God says, what, what Jesus taught, it results in obedience. So it's a, very, it's a very big deal to get this right, that we are not teaching ever at this church because we believe the gospel that works or doing good things will make you right with God. There's only one thing that will make you right with God, the work of God, which is the grace of God, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus applied to you and received by you through faith. That is what saves. But if you are not working out your salvation with fear and trembling, if you are not actively obeying Jesus, you are not showing fruits that you have ever been born again. And that's why we talk about obedience, because it is a necessary outflow of being a one who follows Jesus. The second thing I want you to see about this is teaching them to observe. Jesus is what it means to be a disciple. Teaching them to observe all, say that with me, all that I have commanded you. We like buffets, okay? You've been to a buffet before? You're lying if you haven't because you're Americans, okay? When you go to a buffet, you have unlimited choices. We like that because maybe I do want to eat catfish on my pizza. I don't know, okay? Maybe I do want to put black-eyed peas in my ice cream. I I want it my way, okay? Think about a buffet. 
That is how most Americans approach religion and spirituality. I like this over here. I'm going to take this over here and put this in my belief system. And Oh, this seems nice. I'll put this in my belief system. It'll be, it'll be great. But see, here's the thing about Jesus. It's, again, it's all or nothing with Jesus, okay? Because he says, teaching them to observe all, say that with me, all that I have commanded you. The teachings of Jesus are not, it's not a buffet where you pick and choose what you want. To be a committed follower, you commit to Jesus and his teachings. You have room to disagree with other Christians, but you have no room to disagree with Jesus. So if you can be shown through the scriptures and plain reason that something is right and something is wrong, and it's clear teachings of scripture, then you're wrong and the scripture is right. And that's what it means to be a disciple. It's a woman who believes the teachings of Jesus, so they understand, they've learned them, and they continue to learn them, and they continue to observe them, and they abide by all the teachings of Jesus. So a disciple, we see this, is a committed follower, somebody who is, who is committed to follow Jesus, the person, and, his, and him as the Messiah, has shown that commitment through baptism, and is a lifelong learner. He's, he's, he's one that learns and follows all the commands of Jesus. And I want you to get this as well. A disciple is one who goes and makes disciples. Now, you thought I was missing go and the make of disciple of all the nations. Verse 19. There's a little tricky thing here that happens. The, there, the first word in the Greek sentence of verse 19 gets, the, the way that the language is worded is the word that is the most important is put f- first and foremost most of the time in the syntax. Word go is at the very beginning before therefore in the, in the original language, okay? That's important because this. Then the net, right after that, the word, the verb that we get make disciples, which is the main imperative. It, it, this is important. You need to follow me for a second. I know this like, I don't know. Just okay. Just follow me for a second. This is important. And so we get this, this main word, which is the imperative, which is make disciples, is connected to this word go, some people translate this word go as going make disciples. And what that does is it kind of dampens back the spirit that we are commanded to go. But when this word go is connected to an imperative, the way that it works in the language, I want you to know something. This word go is a secondary imperative. What does that mean? We not only, as Christians, we're not only called to make disciples, but we are called to make disciples by going. We are commanded. It carries with it the imperative force to go. So we cannot sit still. We must be disciples who make disciples. That means followers of Jesus who teach the gospel to people, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and continually teach other people what it means to follow Jesus. And part of what it means to follow Jesus and keeping all of his commandments is to make other disciples. Does that make sense? Charles Spurgeon said it this way. If you, are, if you say you're a Christian and you're not a missionary, you, sir, are an imposter. So get this, the first part of our mission is to recognize Jesus' authority. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. The second thing is we have to obey him, and and by obeying him, that means to go and make disciples. Now, I want you to, uh, the other night we had a great time. We had our first 
uh, the mix, okay, which was our youth ministry where we got, uh, was our wor- youth ministry worship service. We got a bunch of people. We had 21, 21 students show up. It was awesome. Uh, there was a fun game to be had. There was eggs smashed on people's heads, but also Jesus was lifted high. It was a good time. Now, one of the kids, I was, we were asking, like, hey, the, you know, we told them about when we we're going to have the mix next time. It's going to be March 23rd. And one of the kids raised his hand, can we invite anybody? And I said, yes, anybody. Are you serious? Like, anybody. We can invite anybody. And I said, yes, if they are in the grades 6 through 12, you can invite anybody. They're all welcome here. Are you serious? Anybody? I said, yes. If you were there, you heard this. Clint, am I lying? It was said. Okay. And I got to thinking that maybe that, that seems to be something that would be assumed, but maybe we forget assumed things. Jesus gives his disciples this command, because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, because I am glorious and great and above all things. I want, I I desire the worship of all men, but also I desire you to to do that through your worship, to go reach the nations. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. There is an imperative force for us to go and to do this. Go move out and to do this. You're going to see this in the book of Acts when we look at this, that Jesus doesn't want his followers to stay in the four walls or in their comfortable area of their city. He says, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. That kid was asking a question that I think a lot of us, we forget. Is this this church for everybody? Yes. 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 Now, that that doesn't mean that we're going to accept every belief. We have one set of beliefs, okay? Especially about Christ and about sin. It comes from the gospel, the good news of the Bible. We're not going to water that down. But all are welcome because this is news for everybody. This is good news. And all nations means all types of people. And it is a commission to go. And some will go a lot farther than others. I have friends right now in Africa, in Madagascar, and in Ghana, going through the International Mission Board, and that is awesome. And, and some, of, some of my friends are going. They're going to cities that are not their home. They're going those places to spread the gospel. But some of us, and we're called to be a part of all that, but some of us, we won't go there. It's just not our calling at the moment. But we must go where we are. Now that means taking a step farther than where you're comfortable And also the going has an intentional aspect of it. It means that you see people that don't have the gospel, and it doesn't matter how much you have in common with them. It just means to go and to do it. Like We we talked about this one day. I told a story about my neighbor and the fact that um, one time when I hit a a kind of a roadblock in ministry, it, it made me realize I was not being a good neighbor to my neighbors, and I didn't know about a lot of them. I didn't know about their lives. I didn't know if they knew Christ. And I had this neighbor of mine named Skibo who kept walking up and down the road, and he wanted to get with me for years and talk with me for years and years and years. I mean, about two years, he would always, like, try to talk to me in the car, and I was all like, oh, yeah, good to see you, Skibo. I'm getting in the car, and I drive off. And then I started talking about making disciples and, and trying to reach your neighbors. And, and we had some, and, and Tim Brister came, if you remember that, if you haven't heard that sermon, he preached around, uh, around Thanksgiving, go back on our archives on our website, look that up, 
it was Tim Brister's his name, he did a great sermon about, about ministering to your neighbors and taking the gospel to your neighbors. But here's one of the things that, that, that you hear when you do something like this. Anytime you do a message like that, you get, you get loopholes starting to happen. And they're genuine. We all do this, okay? So I'm not, I'm not throwing stones, but it's like, well, I don't have a neighbor. I mean, in, like, my, my next neighbor's like forever away, and that can happen in this county, right? I got a hill in between us. And so we say, well, I don't, I don't know that neighbor. I mean, I can't do that. Certainly you know someone else. <laughs> I want to get this. Whatever sphere of influence you're put in, you're called to go. Just like Charles Spurgeon said, either you're a missionary as a Christian or you are an imposter. Because what does it mean to follow Jesus? You're a, commit, you're a committed follower who does what? Obeys all he commanded. And what is one of the things he commanded? To go and make disciples of all nations. The book of Revelation makes it very clear that at the end of time, there will be some from every nation, tribe, and tongue who will be worshiping the Father. And so we must go. God may be calling some of you in here to go farther than others, but we all must go. Some of you may be called in here, and then in the next couple of years, we're going to be praying for you and sending you out, and you're going to be in some place you never thought possible. You might be in some country that don't speak the same language. You're thinking, no way, but I'm telling you something. God has sent us to go. When we are submitted to his calling, we go. Some of you, we're going to be in a situation in a couple, as you realize and you see the gospel and you see this command of Jesus, some of you are going to be in friendships that you didn't think were possible, and you're going to be talking about Jesus way more than you thought you were because you're going to take this seriously. We are called to take this glorious gospel to everybody. It is for everyone. It is good news for everyone. All authority has been given to Jesus. He has, the, he has given you the authority, the authority to take this message and to go assault the gates of hell and even to confront the beliefs and confront in a loving, godly way the beliefs of those who believe differently because Jesus is the authority. So we must go. We have to be a missionary people. Go. Our revival that's coming up March 9th through the 11th is all about us going locally because we got to. I know that's part of us, and we've been doing it, but we got to do more. Why? Because Jesus is glorious and should be worshipped, and that fuels us to go, and because simply he said so. You remember that argument your parents would give you? Because I said so. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't, but in this case, it works. Because why? He has all authority. He says go, so go. All the nations, all the people groups. All the situations, that person's too far. You are not the one to judge that. There's been lots of people that have been far off that have come to Jesus. In fact, there is no one who's not far off that doesn't come because everyone is far from him. We're, some of us are just better at hiding it. And so here's we got this commission. And then finally, here we got this. I want to give you a word, okay? We've seen this. We've seen that we need to recognize Jesus' authority. We need to obey Jesus being disciples who make disciples. We understand what discipleship is. The second thing I want to give, the third thing I want to give you is this. Just relax. Now, when I say just relax, I don't mean don't get to work because we got lots of work to do for the glory of Jesus. So get ready, put your shoes on, you know, boots, whatever, cowboy boots, whatever footwear you want, put it on, okay? And we're going to go and we're going to get to work in this town and in other towns and make the gospel known. If not, if that wasn't part of what I wanted to do as a pastor and what our elder teams wanted to do, you would need a new pastor and elder team because that is the mission. 
spread the glory of God to the nations for the worship of God. That is what we're about. And if we didn't have people that are telling you to strap up, get ready to go, it would be bad. So I'm not saying relax in the sense of, everybody, let's just go rest. It's not like after you cut your grass and go kick your feet up. That's not what I'm calling you to. I'm calling you to relax, rest from worry. Have you ever been around somebody, and you're probably looking at me today, like, man, he's, he's, I had coffee, okay? He's hyped this morning, all right? So just, you need to chill out, man. You need to relax. Been around somebody like that? Probably said it to your kids. I've said it to my three-year-old. Judson, relax. Okay, Dad. Okay. <laughs> said it again and again. So what I mean is to cease from worry, because here's the thing. This task sounds impossible. Reach the whole world with the gospel, especially to these men. There's 11 of them on a mountain, no social media, no television. How they got there was either walking or riding an animal. How can these guys spread the gospel to the ends of the world? Well, if you look in the book of Acts, it almost is accomplished through them. It goes everywhere. And throughout that time, it continues to advance. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter, chapter 16, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. I'm going to build my kingdom. It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. So here's what happens at the end of this passage. He says, I want you to do all this stuff. And he says, and behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. Jesus gives this great point of comfort. So many times in the Bible, you just count it. Fear not, fear not, fear not. God knows how weak and messed up we are. And he gives us a word not to fear. And what's the word? It doesn't mean don't do anything. Because a lot of times fear can cripple us, can it? No, it doesn't mean that. What it does mean is that, that we can rest confidently that Jesus is present and that he will not leave us. And he said he will be with us to the end of the age. There's an emphasis in this passage, and it basically says, and behold, I, I am with you always to the end of the age. There's an emphasis on the fact that Jesus is with us to the end of the age of the age. I want you to get this. Here's two things that can reassure us about our task. We're supposed to go take it to the nations. It seems impossible. We have more disposal than those disciples did, but it seems impossible to take it. You seem, it seems impossible in your office. It seems impossible in your family to take the gospel. It seems impossible. We're called to go, and he says and promises, I, I myself, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, will be with you, or I am with you, actually, is what it says. And so here's the thing. Jesus reassures them that he is always with them to the end of the age, and that gives us two things, the promise of empowerment. You have no ability or power to do this on your own. Jesus would talk about this in John's gospel. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do something, right? Nothing is what he says. Zero zilch, but with the power of God great things can happen. I want you to know something about this church. As I understand the history of this church, the church that planted this church started with 30 people. The church is doing all right, about 700 now, and they planted two other campuses. When this campus started, it was the core team, and from what I understand, Clint and Katie showed up first, <laughs> Okay. And now none of those people from that original team, hardly any of them, are even here. I think you guys were on it, right? Or close to it? Yeah, okay, the Lakovichs were. But most of them, you guys are coming back. You have been somewhere else. So anyway, the, the facts are that this whole congregation and the gospel witnesses, it started with just, it seemed impossible. 
and they're going to try to find a building, and we still have building stuff going on. We keep putting lipstick on this pig that God's given us, okay? And he keeps doing more and more and more and more. So we're empowered by Jesus to accomplish this. We can't do it. But through the power of Jesus, we can. We can't reach people in and of ourselves. In fact, what would we be reaching them with if we tried to reach them with ourselves? Just our niceness? No. There's something greater than us, the gospel, the good news of Jesus. We are empowered, and he says, I am with you. So that talk speaks of empowerment. The second thing it mentions is the promise of his presence. I am with you. I'm constantly amazed about when a child is born, how much they need contact with, with their family, with their parents, with other family members, somebody hugging them and kissing them and keeping them close. And Judson to this day, when he, gets, when he wakes up in the middle of the night and jumps in the bed with us, he's like, he goes, I, would, I just need to touch you guys. So he'll have one hand on me, one, hand, one foot on Amy, and it's very uncomfortable, you know, like 4 o'clock in the morning to have that happen. Well, he just wants to touch and just be, and something about the healing power of the presence there that happens. And I want you to get this. Jesus says, I am, I, I am with emphasis on that. I am with you always to the end of the age. I want you to get this. We are not, we're promised empowerment, and this, that's going to come through the Holy Spirit, which we're going to see later on in Acts as the story unfolds of redemption being applied. We're also going to see this, that he promises to be with us. And we engage in the work of God. We experience the presence of Jesus so much more fully and clearly and bigger than we ever expected. And that is something that cannot be underestimated because in the deep, dark hours of the night when we feel despondent and we feel like our works have come to nothing, when we are engaged with Jesus, he is there. The power of the presence of Jesus will be with us. And here's the thing. The more and more we work and strive and follow after Jesus, the more and more we feel and, and, and experience his presence with us. That doesn't mean it's, it's not there before, but now we experience and know it. And I don't know if you've ever been in this place. I have, unfortunately, several times. When churches have problems and and. And every Sunday they get together and there's no expectation that the Spirit is going to speak through the Word of God in a worship time. There's no expectation that God's going to do something different in their services. And, what, and they, they don't reach out and they're all focused inwardly. What happens? It seems like there's no presence of Jesus there. It seems like you're like, I mean, just shut the doors, man. What are you guys doing? But it's amazing when the people of God engage in the work of God, they experience the presence of Jesus more fully because they are exercising their faith and they are believing the promises that we see here that Jesus says I am with you always to the end of the age I don't know about you I don't need to know anything the thing that I need the most is not accomplishment or cash or prominence the thing I need most in my life is the presence of Jesus. And I encounter the presence of Jesus more when I am exercising faith, doing the mission of God, than I do in any other time in my life. And I call this church to hear the command and follow without fear and to know and experience more fully the presence of Jesus. Let's pray. God, you're good. You're good to us. We ask that you would be honored 
by your word today. We also ask that you would be glorified in this time. And we pray right now that as we go into this time of communion, that we would honor you and that we would take your commission seriously. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.